when you're first looking for a practice, it's very much like dating. You know, I think partnership is like a marriage, but you just sort of are trying to look for similar values and, you know, thinking about where you want to live and imagining what your future practice is going to look like. But until you're in it for a few years, you can't really know whether it's going to be right. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Now here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today I have a friend on the program. It's Dr. Laura Shaheen. She's an REI specializing in infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss at Pacific Northwest Fertility and IVF Specialists in Seattle. Dr. Shaheen completed her medical school at Wake Forest. She did her residency in OBGYN at UC San Francisco, and she did her REI fellowship at Stanford. She's all over social media. She has been featured in and written several blogs, including in major publications. She's written three books, two of which are Planting the Seeds of Pregnancy. Another one is called Not Broken. And because of all this, she's on our show today. Welcome to... Inside Reproductive Health, Dr. Shaheen, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Griffin. Wonderful opportunity. I kind of want to start this backwards, which is because you've done so much in terms of creating content, being featured in content. I want to start this backwards because we wanted to talk about the different hats that physician partners have to wear. You being interested in these different activities, why did you want to join independently owned practice and become part of that ownership team? Because to me, it seems like it would have been a lot easier to work for a health system or university (laughs) or a large practice group and do what you wanted to do separately. Oh, that's great. That's a good question. Uh, You know, my dad was an entrepreneur and he taught it in university as well. And so I always learned from him and I've always been very interested in doing my own thing. And so joining a practice where I had the ability to eventually become partner and be part owner was very appealing to me. Did you think about it for a while? What went into your decision? Do you recall back to it? Sure. So I was really trying to think about academics versus private practice as the first decision. And I felt that there was a lot more opportunities in private practice to be a little bit more independent. And I knew that I had different interests, such as being creative and always wanted flexibility. So at first, I was definitely drawn towards private practice and really looking for opportunities on the West Coast because of my husband's job and found Pacific Northwest Fertility in 2009 and just knew immediately when I met them that our visions were aligned and really feel very fortunate to join that practice. Let's talk a little bit about that, about how you know when your vision is aligned with someone and what needs to be spelled out, because there's going to be people that are hiring new doctors that are listening to this. There's going to be new doctors that are going through that same decision that you went through in 2009. And I was saying in an earlier episode, one of the things that I like about owning Fertility Bridge is that it's a dictatorship. I get, I get feedback from my clients and my employees, and I take it really seriously in how I make my decisions. But at the end of the day, there's one person making those decisions. In my opinion, that makes things a lot easier. So when you're discovering the vision of the practice that you want to join and comparing that to the vision that you have for your own career, 
what did you go through and what does somebody need to consider when they're experiencing that? Sure. So one thing that was different about Pacific Northwest Fertility is it was owned and founded by two physicians, you know, Lori Marshall and Lee Hickok. And they really went out on their own, got a loan from a bank, used their experience in the community and their own brand and started it completely anew. And I really appreciated their entrepreneurial spirit. And by the time I was joining, they were already four years in and doing quite well, even through the recession. So this is back in, you know, I joined in 2009. And I just knew that if I joined a practice that was partly owned by a business or had shareholders to account to, I knew I would have, you know, limited flexibility. And I just really liked their independent spirit. Can you talk about a little bit about that last part, which is you were attracted to the flexibility? Because when I'm talking to people coming out of fellowship, I think that well, what I'm hearing from them is that they perceive more flexibility with either larger groups or a university system. I get my paycheck, I go home, um, but I'm not necessarily drawn into everything that's going on in the practice, which would limit either when I can work or when I can't or what I'm able to do. So you saw more flexibility with independent practice. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So I think if you join a university or a practice that is part owned by someone else, then there's definitely other people that are involved in making decisions where if it's physician owned and you could eventually be one of those physicians that is owning it, you're going to have a lot more independence. You know, I, everybody could have very different experiences. And when you're first looking for a practice, it's very much like dating, you know, I think partnership is like a marriage, but you just sort of are trying to look for similar values and, you know, thinking about where you want to live and imagining what your future practice is going to look like. But until you're in it for a few years, you can't really know whether it's going to be right. And I just got really fortunate that my first job is, you know, the one that I really liked and stayed with. Let's stick with the dating analogy. Date one through three, <laughs> going perfectly, yeah. swimmingly. This person is marvelous. Dates four through eight, oh, we find out they drink a little bit too much or they've got some real deep-seated resentment against their relatives or so at what point, you know, what is that process like for for people when they they need to realize, do I want to enter into a partnership agreement? What dates, how do they put their toes in the water before it's a bunch of contracts and several years into it? Right. Well, I do think it does take several years to be sure that you like the community and you like the partners that you're working with. I think you can get a pretty good feel about people in the first six months to a year about whether it's going to work. And then I still think it takes a couple more years to be sure that it's really a good fit. I think that something that's really important to align with are values. And you figure that out pretty quickly when you're seeing some of the you know things that you know, physicians have to deal with like difficult patients or, you know, financial issues, difficult employees. And watching my partners work through difficult situations that came up, I learned a lot from them. And I realized that we were aligned on a lot of the same values, such as really, truly the patient care comes first. And as long as you are focused on that and you're giving excellent patient care, you know, the 
you know, patients are going to keep coming, your referring providers are going to be there, the finances are going to be good. And, you know, also just really taking care of the team. I really appreciated that. Really trying to focus on team development and career development within the practice. I thought that was really unique and enjoyed watching them mentor, not just me, but but other people on the team. So exploring these values is crucial for when you're determining if this person will be a right partner and aligning those values. How do you keep those values aligned over time? I see some practices with 10 partners, 12 partners that they might not all have the same equity or share, but that's a lot of different decision makers. And again, one of the things that I like about being a a single owned business is that I make that decision. And if, if I'm wrong, then I have to correct it, but I can make them relatively quickly because I'm not necessarily having to get on the same page with another person who has the equal amount of say in it that I do. And so when it comes to things like, when do we sell equity? When do we sell equity of our practice or equity of our lab or what marketing should we do or how do we want our culture to be or who are the key people that we want to hire? It seems like if an ownership team isn't super well aligned that any one of those decisions would just start to chip away at that cohesiveness. So how the heck do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we're very fortunate that we've always been aligned on the same page And I think one of the most important things is just communication. I just can't overemphasize that. And part of that is, you know, weekly meetings where we get together and we talk about things, business meetings, but also getting together a little bit socially just to relax a little bit. Regular strategic planning meetings that's helped with an outside professional, you know, someone that leads us through leadership training and and kind of at least once a year getting together to align and discuss big business decisions that, you know, we need to discuss together moving forward. It's just all about communication. I like that. And in those meetings, the more frequent ones, do you keep like the cases, like patient cases and other things, out, anything non-business out of it? Is it exclusively business or does it overlap with? It does overlap a little bit, but also something that's unique about our practice is we actually do rounds every day at lunchtime. So we get together to talk about all the patients and the cases that are coming through. So we do touch base a little bit every single day. And so those weekly afternoon meetings are mostly business or discussing big picture items. I'm glad you said that about over-communication because with my team, I call it the amazing race principle. I always tell them (laughs) it's the amazing race principle because if you watch the amazing race and you saw these father, sons, mother, daughters, college roommates, spouses, and you just watch them in the task you would think that they hated each other or, or worse, they would think they hated each other. And mm-hmm. so I always say, you know, like we might be elbows deep in a project and we have a culture where there's never like never there's no name calling or swearing or anything like angry. But people we can be chippy at different times when we're trying to get something done. And so I try to res- like pull out our interaction from that and keep it separate. And, and I call it the amazing race principle where we're just talking about the relation we're, the relationship in this case, we're just mm-hmm. talking about them as an, an employee, as a team member, me as a boss, how I'm managing as opposed to like what's going on in this person, this client's 
project because I think if you don't over-communicate, then that's where that cohesion starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it actually doesn't surprise, like a knee-jerk reaction might be, wow, once a week is a lot. But then again, with what you're dealing with, no, it isn't. To me, that seems probably mm-hmm. pretty reasonable. Right. I agree. So how do you then agree upon who's responsible for different key functions of the business? Just like in a, a marriage, one person might be a lot better at finances. One person might be a lot better at taking this particular role with the kids. One person might be better at this kind mm-hmm. of planning. How do you break that apart within partners and say, okay, this is your seat. This is ours. This is my seat. This is this person's seat. Yeah, I do think it's important to divide and conquer and to trust your partners because really we all can't do it all. And we've sort of naturally drifted towards different things that we're drawn to come together for big business decisions. But there's definitely, you know, some of us that really like to focus on, you know, marketing and social media, others that like to focus on the, you know, whole donor egg bank or third-party reproduction that we have in our practice, definitely have different types of personalities on our team. You know, some that are more visionary and sort of thinking about big picture and then others that are more, you know, in the trenches sort of protocol and sort of thinking about the details. And so we've just been working together for so long, kind of like a marriage. You don't know if we all started out that way, but or there were different personalities that sort of grew, you know, in different ways because we balanced each other it's hard to say how do you bring new people on then because you know you mentioned when when you started it was dr marshall and dr hickok and then dr hickok retired and and then you know you came on and others came on how do you evolve it because to me it seems like easy to say it would be easy to say okay we've got this many people that are partners now and we're doing really well with what in a lot of cases would be a much more fragile relationship to attempt we're doing really well with it let's not rock the boat how do you bring new people into it yeah well i think you have to we have to bring people in and then see what their personality and how it fits you know i think there's going to be different types of physicians you know there are going to be a lot of people that are drawn to more of a like clock in clock out kind of model where they're not having to worry about, you know, marketing or making business decisions. And then there could be people that are very interested in that and don't see it as stressful, but sort of see it as exciting. And so I think it depends on who that person is and how they jive with the practice. So one of those roles for you that you gravitated towards was, I think it's pretty fair to call you a connector you connect with folks on social media. One of the ways that you do that is from creating content. You've written books. D- did you know that about yourself as you were before you joined the practice or how did that come to be? Yeah, I, you know, I definitely would say that I have learned that I enjoy connecting with other people more in the last few years then I realized, and I think that just the process of writing and the process of using social media has allowed that part of my personality to really kind of come out. And I truly do enjoy it. What came to you first? Did you start posting on social media? Did you start writing blog posts? What was the most natural for you? Writing. So my very first project, an acupuncturist in town who happens to be Stephanie Giannarelli, 
she happens to be the first person that ever referred a patient to me in Seattle back in like summer 2009. And we just got to be friends and she had been working on a book for five years and really wanted a Western approach to her Eastern medicine book. And so I just started writing chapters and it turned into more chapters and ended up being half of the book. And so we co-published it together. And I just realized how much I enjoyed writing. Most of my writing had been research-based. I was pretty prolific in fellowship and then continued to publish a little bit, you know, even uh, after fellowship. But I found that I really enjoyed creative writing more than the scientific writing. So started writing blog posts and got them on Huffington Post. And that was sort of just fun, just kind of like, wow, I, you know, I have a voice and I can, I have something to say. And then with my Center for Recurrent Pregnancy Loss, I found that I, the patients really had a lot of the same questions over and over and over again. And I realized there's just only so much you can absorb in one or two visits. And so I wrote uh, Not Broken, An Approachable Guide to Miscarriage and Recurrent Pregnancy Loss, truly as a tool to give to my patients so that they could just continue to learn. And, you know, when they had a question about why we did a certain test, they'd have a place to look it up and it sort of took off. And then uh, using social media, honestly, as a way to connect with other people and then get my books out there. And then it's sort of turned into a way to connect with people all over the world with similar interest in miscarriage and fertility help and coaches. And it's been wonderful. I see the thought leader aspect of it because you're able to connect with so many people from all over the world, other experts. How does it impact relationships with new patients when somebody has a chance to read hundreds of pages of your, the spillings of your brain before they even you know say hello to you? what's that like? Sometimes it's a little weird. Sometimes people are like, oh, I've read your book and that's why I'm here. And, and But then there's still definitely a lot of patients that haven't read it. And even at the end of the, you know, intake appointment, I'm like, well, we've got a little something, would you, you know, that you might want to read and take with you today. Are you interested in that? And I don't even tell them that it's a book that I wrote. We just sort of like, just kind of hand it to them and, <laughs> and walk out because I'm just still sort of, I guess, I don't know humble or something, but I uh, just really want it to be useful and helpful to people. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about it. Well, not just the book, but also on Instagram, somebody sees you, what is this like? I guess this was not the case in 2009. So what is it like for you practicing medicine now when ostensibly you have more people that are more familiar with not just who you are, but what you're like coming to see you a lot more than they were 10 years ago? That's a great question. I think most of the patients find me after they've seen me. I don't see a lot of patients that say, oh, I saw you on Instagram and kind of that's why I'm here. But I will say, you know, sometimes just doing ultrasounds, they'll comment on a post that I did and sort of say, oh, you know, I really appreciate you doing that post. I, you know, was kind of wondering about that question or or would you post on something else? And so it does kind of lead to conversations, but maybe not not as often as you might think. So they're peeking at you. Yeah, exactly. I always wonder, I this is not something I have a concrete answer for and might not, but I talk about it a lot with guests on the show is I'm not sure where the marketing and public relations ends and the practicing medicine begins as another tool of communication, as a way of 
distributing your ideas, as a way of educating the patient, as a way of building rapport with the patient. And so what might start as, you know, I might take a lead on marketing. Eventually, there are aspects of that where you would want other key stakeholders in the practice to also do. And so maybe you don't have a more of a crystal clear answer than I do, but I wonder if does everyone in the practice, at least let's say the physician owners, do they all need to be involved in this in some way? And if not, why? And if so, to what degree? Yeah, I think that they should be involved if they want to, but I definitely don't think anybody should force themselves to try to do social media if they're not drawn to it or they try it for a while and, and don't really like it just because it really is like a personal connection and you are, I mean, I connect more with other female physicians and fertility providers and sort of ask questions that way. And I, I don't know, I, I just don't, I truly enjoy just being creative and sort of thinking about how I can do a post. And I, I only kind of do it if I think of something, I'm not like planning it out and being strategic about it. And I think if it, started to feel that way, I think it would be less fun. And I don't really think I would enjoy it as much. And I definitely wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. That's fair. What would you, what would you conclude about this, the, with the thesis of this episode really being that marketing, public relations, content creation are one hat that practice owners wear. What else would you want practice owners to consider about the multiple hats that they have to wear if they're deciding, should I go into a track where I'm either buying in a partnership with an independent practice or opening up my own independent practice? What other hats do they need to consider? I think they should consider how much research they'd like to do, if that's a really important part of what brings them joy, because you would have more access to research and clinical trials in an academic setting. Teaching, I think, is really important. My practice is unique in that we teach the UW residents their RE exposure. And that was something that I was drawn to. I was nervous about giving that up if I didn't go to academics, but you don't necessarily have to be in academics to teach. And I think, I think it's really important to figure out, and it's okay if you don't figure it out with your first job or in the first couple of years, but whether you really do want to run a business or not, it's absolutely okay to not do that. And there are a lot of people that are really happy just seeing their patients and, you know, clocking in and clocking out and being an excellent, excellent provider without the stress of running a business and making those decisions. So if you go to a place that honestly has more physicians or does have an outside somebody that's running business or marketing, or if you go to an academic center, there's a lot of the pieces of the puzzle that you're not going to have to worry about. And you might even be able to focus a little bit more on other things. So the great thing about being a physician is that you can wear all these different hats and you can find that right practice for you that will allow you to be creative or do research or teach or run a business. Whenever I get impatient with prospective clients or even current clients, sometimes I think, okay, picture everything that you have to do to run this business and then go do 200 egg retrievals in a year. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's among other things. It's right. It's, I mean, you, sh 
you should see us at our business meetings on Tuesday afternoon after a full patient day. Sometimes we just sit there for a good 15, 20 minutes and just, you know, chat because we just need to let off some steam. Yeah. Yeah. What's your long-term prediction for the field? I have a lot of people asking me, do you think that private equity is going to come in and gobble up every practice and every practice is going to be large corporate practice groups and there's only going to be one or two or three of them? I have my own opinions about that, but what's your knee-jerk or or maybe well-thought-out reflection to? I am just going to kind of wait and see. I will definitely say that at ASRM two years ago in San Antonio, there was just such a huge buzz about VC money and people buying out. And I think two years later that it hasn't happened as much as people were sort of predicting. And I'm interested to see where the future goes. And in conclusion, what haven't I asked you about content creation, public relations, writing, social media that other physicians should consider? I think that if it's something to consider if they are interested in trying it. I have people ask me, you know, gosh, where, how do you find the time or how do you write? It's so hard. And, you know, I think writing is like a, it's like a muscle. You have to exercise it. You know, you don't just sit down and all of a sudden just kind of write something. But if you have something to say, you're sort of interested in it, just try and, and see. And you certainly don't have to, publish on Huffington Post or get a huge, you know, voice in the beginning, you can do your own website and just do your own blogs and just see where it goes. A woman of many hats, Dr. Laura Shaheen, (laughs) thank you for coming on to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, Griffin. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we want to hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com and tell us if you recommend a guest or a topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices growth and double your IVF cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast, and we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.